0: Free from all that questioning. But every time a problem is, another one begins. And the stone walls of harmony on bear witness. Anybody with a word in mind can never forgive the sight. Wicked snakes inside a place you thought was dignified. I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. Ooh. The bad. Only gets worse for the Toronto Blue Jays, they drop 3 of 4 to the Tampa Bay Rays, and the losing skid continues. Hello and welcome to episode 273 of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. Bryson, you're back with us. Jacob couldn't make it today. Bryson, how are you?
1: Well, Mark, I mean, I'm doing good, but I'm sure you're doing good, (laughs) but of course... It just it continues like when it rains, it pours. And I mean, you just look at the last 11 days or whatever it was, the last 10 days or it was 11 days, two for nine against AL East opponents. Now that it's all said and done that stretch, I guess, of consistent AL East opponents is done. When you look back on that, that's that's just unacceptable. I mean, you look at how this thing started, you look at where we are now. One game above 500, this team is currently at fifth place. We talked about it 10 games back, I think it's at right now, of the AL East. So, I mean, three games out of – I understand it's still early and everything, but you just look at the AL East especially. I mean, I understand the wild card's still in play, and it will be in play. But, I mean, it's unacceptable uh, after what happened. And, of course, an opportunity for them, I think the best-case scenario for them, the way that this team has been playing, would be fine – with the split over the um, pretty much over this four game series, that uh, that didn't happen. And it felt like we kind of got pump faked a bit after that offensive explosion, I thought, yeah. as well in game two, where you know what? We had the idea that, all right, this is the start of something offensively and everything like that. It seemed to be a blip in the radar, kind of back to the usual stuff that we've been dealing with. And here we are, right back to square one of what's wrong with this team right now. Yeah. Those numbers that you
0: rattled off are pretty brutal. I didn't realize the Jays were 10 games back. And I mean, like, it is all relative at this point. They're in the division with the best team in baseball in the Tampa Bay Rays, and they have been losing, and every other team has been winning. But when you put it into that context 10 games back, it is a little brutal for the Blue Jays. Um, Yeah, kind of a bizarre series. Like, I, 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 I don't know. You... In between three losses, in the middle of this terrible stretch, you get a 20-1 to 1 win, the second largest margin of victory in team history, the second most hits in team history, the fourth most runs in team history, and then you go right back to losing for two games against the Rays with very little offensive contribution. It's just kind of a weird dynamic going on this series, but I guess we can start with The fallout from today's game because we're starting to see the team react a little bit. And by that, I mean we had a players meeting after today's game, a closed door meeting in the clubhouse after the game wrapped up. And we got some quotes from Matt Chapman about it, some quotes from John Schneider about it. But basically, the sentiment that we got from Matt Chapman was uh, the buck stops with the players. The responsibility for all this is on the players. And Matt Chapman said, coaches can't hold our hands anymore. We got to get this stuff done. And ultimately, it comes down to us. And I think, you know, that's a nice sentiment to have. But when you lose 9 of 11 games to AL East opponents, sentiments don't result in wins. So, I'm curious what you make of... I mean, I guess where the Jays are right now, like where your panic level is at. Are you hitting that proverbial panic button Where do you stand on this players' meeting? Are you encouraged by what we've heard, the kind of buck stops here mentality and language that we've gotten from John Schneider and Matt Chapman and some of the other guys on this team? Like, What's the, I guess, the state of the union, the check-in on how you're
1: feeling about the Jays right now? I mean, yeah, this is kind of, I guess you're right about a state of the union thing, but Look, I under, there's a lot of people that I understand have clicked this panic button. Uh, there's a lot of people who are upset, and let me get this very clear: is that they have every right to be upset. Nothing that they are saying, I think, for the most part, is something. It's just everything they say makes sense, and I get it. It's frustrating because of how this team is built. Everyone knows this team is built to win, but as you know, Mark as well, experiencing stuff like this over the last couple of years since they've regained or re-entered that competitive window. When stuff goes wrong like this and when these skids happen, there's a lot, a lot, let me repeat that again, a lot of finger-pointing. Like, there is tons of finger-pointing right now. Rightfully so, of course, and maybe a a couple, maybe a little bit of a stretch. I just think there's a lot of finger-pointing. There's a lot of excuse, not excuses, but there's just a lot of blame happening right now in terms of what's going on. I mean, look, I mean, I don't think any of us had this predicted, and if you want to talk about today's game, None of us had this predicted with Alec Manoa. I mean, the most question mark that the question marks that we had with this rotation coming into the year was the back end in terms of Barrios and Kikuchi. I understand Kikuchi's had a bad month of May. I'm sure there's still some optimism. He can turn things around. Jose Barrios has bounced back for the most part so far, and he's on, he continues to be on on an onward trend as he had another great start uh, this past series. And that was the game where they scored 20 runs and and, uh, did their thing uh, in game two. So, that's the one thing where I understand the backlash and I understand the frustration with Alec Manoa. It just it's just something that we didn't see coming, and that's the last thing that we would have expected. And then I see a lot of other finger pointing. Of course, would of course a lot of the easy for, person to blame is John Schneider, the uh, the manager. Of course, a couple decisions here and there. Yes, that maybe I personally don't agree with. I'm sure there's a couple maybe that you scratch your head at, Mark. Of course, there's been moments this year where we've all done that. And of course it just increases, increases. I've seen the whole Ross Atkins slander come back now. And like that's just the part of where we're at right now. I'm not I'm not here to click the panic button yet. I get it. Again, I'm just as frustrated as everybody else. But I understand that this team, for the most part as well, is underperforming. And that's the part that's sick. I mean, especially, like, I don't know how many times we have to repeat it, but it's just these teams that they're losing to, how they're doing it. I mean, I go right back to game one as well, if you want to jump right at the beginning of the series. This is something that we have brought up a lot on this podcast, I would say, at least the last two times, maybe the last three times, about the fundamentals, the defense, and everything like that. Chris Bassett goes out, allows six runs, but only two of those were earned. Two errors from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'm not here to finger point. I'm just saying there were two errors from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Both missed catches. These are the fundamentals that we're talking about. And then I, I hate to jump all over the place. And then I look at today as well. I'm going to go back now to Game Four. I mean, the Rays going what was it? Almost seven for seven or something like that on stolen bases. Just there's lots of stuff that are happening around them where it's it's not what they advertise in spring training. It's not that we have see, what we saw in April. And I think that's the part that's just like frustrating. It's just how bad right now that this team is playing. And they really are playing really bad right now. There is no sugarcoating that. But again, I'm not here to click the panic button and write off the entire year. Like there are some people doing, I'm not here to turn on certain players or, you know, certain decisions uh, from Ross Atkins. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not at that point yet. I still think it's too early for that. Um, But of course people, there are some people who are doing that. So The State of the Union address, as you were calling it, it kind of it remains the same uh, that we've seen, I guess, over the last week. As much as the stretch has been terrible and stuff has happened that is completely unacceptable, there's still lots of time left, and of course, you know, there's lots of season left and everything like that. The part that concerns me, though, is now just a lot of this, and this goes back to the players only thing, like you were talking about. There's just there's a lot of talk right now, and there's not a lot of action that's coming after that. And that goes from the stuff that we heard in spring training about you know doing the little things right and everything like that. And then of course, what Matt Chapman was talking about with the the players only meeting, you know there was players only meeting. I'm pretty sure they've already had a couple this year too. Or there there was some sort of thing this year where they've had a couple meetings prior to this one. There was lots last year that we saw. So I mean, none of this is exactly new to any of us. So it, it I'm kind of it comes with some sort of expectation. It's just right now it just shows you when everything's going wrong, just the amount of just backlash that comes with it. And I'm I'm almost, I'm not used to it, but I would say I expected it. And it's just, it really is right now. It's really tough to watch, unfortunately, but you got to have some sort of confidence that they're going to turn this thing around. It's just, it's just the time of the year that's happening, the teams that it's happening against and just certain stuff that we didn't really expect to happen at the beginning of the year that, we're going through right now and I think that's also what stings a little bit as well yeah I think I'm right there with you like I expressed in the
0: last episode my concern how this stretches you know changing the Blue Jays from being a elite team to a very good team and from like a division winning team to a first or second wild card team and I stand by that fact but like I think it is important to know like you said it is early like it's May 25th at this point um I think a lot of people are already kind of calling it quits and trying to hit the restart button on the season. And, like, it's 162 games and we're, what, 45 games in? 50 games in? Um, There's a lot of baseball to be played. And I think, like, I know I say this pretty much every year when the Jays go on a stretch like this, but it baffles me how every single season people are ready to call it quits after a month and a half or two months or a 10 game stretch where they aren't performing well. And it's like, have you ever watched a baseball season before? Like, is this your first time watching baseball? Cause teams go on these stretches. This happens. We bring it up all the time. But last year, the one in 10 stretch that they went on in July that resulted in Charlie Montoyo being firing, but they bounced back and became the first wildcard team. I'll go back to 2021, which maybe. Isn't a great example because the Jays missed the playoffs that season, but you look exactly two years ago today, May 25th, 2021, the Blue Jays won against the New York Yankees to end a six-game losing streak. That sounds pretty familiar. Exact same time of the season, six-game losing streak, four of those losses came against the Tampa Bay Rays. These things happen to teams, and yes, the Blue Jays missed out on the playoffs by one game in 2021, but these things are going to happen if you're playing 162 games, and if you're playing a season over six months, there's going to be ups and downs, and I really do find it remarkable that there is genuine panic. I saw a tweet the other day where there was a person legitimately contemplating, they were saying, like, should I be... Calling it quits on the Jays season. Like, is it over at this point? I go, Like, it baffles my mind how some people lose that sense of context. Which is not to say, like, this is very frustrating. It's very disappointing. It's very hard to watch. Full disclosure, I watched maybe 20 or 30 minutes of this entire series. Because the Jays are just not worth your time right now. But that doesn't mean it isn't going to get better. And I think it's going to get better pretty soon. So that's the optimist side of things. The pessimist side of things is what you say. Like... I don't know, it's terrible watching this team right now. And they're having players-only meetings. And they're talking about, you know, very hard language. Like, coaches can't hold our hands anymore. It's up to us. Like, some of these quotes are kind of concerning when you look at it that way. And I had one person comment to me that uh, what John Schneider has been saying and the quotes that he's been putting out sound eerily similar to what Charlie Montoyo was saying. Uh, when the blue Jays hit some skids last season, then I gotta be honest, there is a resemblance there. So that's the other side of this, but I will say just for the record, John Schneider is not getting fired anytime soon. I just want to put that out there. Cause I know some people are calling for his head right now. That's not on the horizon in any way. I like, do you agree, Brace Like that is so far out of the realm of possibilities right now. Teams go through these stretches by all appearances, he has not lost the clubhouse, and that is kind of the final line in losing your job. He is the manager of this team in their competitive window,
1: like he's not going anywhere, right I mean, I don't think so, but on the bright on the okay. funny side is that we said the same thing last year, and then of course we did say that, but it is like it, you're right, I just I don't know I mean they we know why they did it, of course, at the time, it's a little bit of a different managerial style. It's just it's, – it's the easiest – per it always will be the easiest person to blame when stuff goes wrong. Him as long with Ross Atkins. That's always the nature of it, yeah. And I will say, like,
0: I think your first manager – as a general manager, your first manager is kind of a gimme. It's kind of uh you can whiff on it and you're doing all right. If you whiff on the second manager and the Blue Jays go through two managers in – Whatever it's been. I mean, like, only a couple months of baseball, really. Like, I think Schneider's been Major League Manager for, I think it's like 125 games. If you whiff on two managers over the span of two seasons, then we're looking at Ross Atkins going out the window. I know some people are calling for that. And we'll get to a little topic of uh, how Ross Atkins has performed a little bit later. But uh, it's not happening. It's not in the realm of possibilities right now. Let's cool our jets on that one. Uh, And it's like, it shouldn't happen. Like again, teams go through these stretches. By all accounts, the Blue Jays are still a cohesive group. They're not firing John Schneider, and they shouldn't fire John Schneider. Um, so let's transition to some of the other stuff that went on this series that you teased a little bit earlier. But before we get to that, I do want to plug Jay Birdie Baseball Co. They're a sponsor for this episode of the podcast, Bryson. You got the shirt on right now. Uh, I I mean it's just great quality stuff. Like it's very quality shirts it's really soft it fits well um it it, uh, we've been wearing them for like two or three weeks at this point and we still love them as much as we did on the first day Uh, and they just got some brand new hats out as well in a partnership with new era Uh, they got their logo on a all black hat with a white logo and then they got a white panel cap and sort of a retro style light blue Um, and i love both of them they're both great in addition to the shirts that they have They've got a couple of hoodies, a couple of sweaters. They've got everything you could ever want. So you can find all their gear. It's jbirdie.ca. You can find that link below this episode or just go check them out at jbirdie.ca. All right. You teased a little bit about Alec Manoa. So let's get into that conversation because I I don't know. It feels like it's kind of reaching a breaking point. Like I, I, I think we had gone through the first five, ten starts thinking... Okay, he's got time to turn it around, give him time to get settled, give him time to make adjustments, let's see what happens, see how he rebounds. I mean, it's been 10-11 starts now. It seems like we're getting to the point where the Blue Jays should do something. That opens up the question of, what do they do? And we asked a couple of listeners, they had some thoughts on what the Jays should do. You can uh, join our Discord, drop your thoughts in our mailbag all the time. Uh, the link to join our Discord is below this episode, but... Uh, I mean, we had Naden saying, Phantom I stint, skip his spot in the rotation, option to Buffalo. If he's set down, then who comes up? I, it's, it's just kind of a domino effect of what you do with Alec Manoa right now. So, like, I don't know. I don't have any answers. The Blue Jays clearly don't have any answers. I think maybe the most likely thing right now is a Phantom I stint, but I don't know. I think, okay. I think give him one more start. He'll be starting against Minnesota. Minnesota is not as good a team as Tampa Bay. If he doesn't perform well in that Minnesota start, he should go on a Phantom I-Elston. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, that fixes something. I don't know what. Um, I'm curious
1: what you make of that. <sighs> here's, here's the thing. Uh, as much, that's a Jacob line. I, I, I can't believe I just said that. Okay, anyways. here's But this is the issue here. And, you know, it's bad because every case, okay, so every start that he's had, which has been most of the starts where it's gone bad for him, despite a couple where he actually looked good. And we said it like I last Saturday, I thought he pitched decent against Baltimore. That was not the re- he was not the reason for what happened that day, for sure. Everything we already talked about that. And we don't want to bring that weekend up too much. But in those starts where he has struggled, it has been the same. It's been the same thing. It's been the same problem. And you know what's bad is that you can't you're you're just repeating yourself in terms of what is going wrong with him. It's the same stuff with the location, and everything. I mean, you look at today uh, on the Thursday game, eighty seven pitches in three innings, like that's that's mind blowing. I'm sorry, eighty seven pitches in three innings. The other thing is now that I I wonder about, and I get it that we don't we're nowhere near the clubhouse. We we don't know what goes. I get it. There's tons that we don't know about. But after a pitcher throws his game. Of course, at some point within that five days, there's a bullpen session and there's all that stuff. Like the fact that there's just been, it feels like there's been no change over those courses. I just find that really bizarre that like I, who knows if they've identified anything. I'm sure there's been stuff that they can pinpoint at. Of course, we've talked about the location, everything, but it's just when he has struggled, which has been majority of the year, it's the same thing. It, it really is. Like, it's not like there's something new. There's not like there's bad luck. It's the same problem. And this is supposedly the ace of this rotation, the opening day starter. You look at his numbers. I mean, he's he's almost last in, in the entire American League in terms of everything. Uh, if you want to look at numbers, everything, just all that stuff that you can think of. He is at the bottom um, of that. And unfortunately, it feels like uh, from pretty much the stuff I've been mentioning with the, like just failing to figure things out right now, there doesn't seem to be a true answer of what's going on. I don't know if he's dealing with something behind the scenes that he's not disclosing. I don't I, who knows. I mean, if it's a obviously a lot of it has to do with confidence right now, of course, and everything like that. There just seems to be a lot that he needs to adjust adjust to, but he hasn't. And then that, of course, comes to the question now a contending team, a team now who has dropped uh, the amount of games that they have dropped, you need to start winning games. Of course, that's stating the obvious. Can you keep throwing them out there every five days? And then that's where it gets interesting because, of course, that discussion has been brought up, I think. The last two starts is when it's definitely begun to circulate, and it's, of course, even, uh, after this one it uh, would happen again, not today on the Thursday game, it's starting to come up again. The problem is, and if you want to reflect on the entire organization now, who, who comes up, right? I mean, you look at Ricky Tiedemann. I mean, a lot of people talked about him. He's been dealing with some sort of shoulder fatigue. He's on a setback. I don't even know if we see him at all this year anymore. That's going to depend on his whole recovery thing and how he feels. But he is in no rush. They are not rushing him to come up to the big leagues right now. They are being extra cautious. Of course, the uh, the team was in Florida um, this week, which means guys like Hyunjin Ryu and Chad Green were there, I guess, visiting with the team because they've been rehabbing in Florida Hyunjin Ryu, uh, ironically, spoke to the media. He said he's targeting around July after the All-Star break to come back. We're in May. I mean, Hyunjin Ryu, for me, (laughs) is the only suitable guy that I think can come up at that point. But again, that's two months away, or at least just under two months away. That's not going to cut it in terms of short term. And then the question comes back to the point that we talked about... The other thing we talked about last episode is the lack of off days this team has. Of course, there is one coming up this upcoming Monday after the twin series, but then after that, their next one is June 12th, which we talked about last episode. It's not like you can manipulate the off day and go with four people. That's out of the question, um, unless they do it now, and I don't know if they're going to do that instantly. I don't know who you bring up. I get it. I mean, think about it. If there was organizational depth, I do think it would be very, like, I think it'd be likely in terms of something that they can do that. I know the minor league option has also come up. I just, for me, as much as, I get it. They're gonna. You want to try something new? I don't know what. I don't know what it does. I really don't know what it does because he hasn't been able to figure it out. Now, I mean, maybe that helps him go back to the drawing board if that ever happens. But again, let's just say they do this tomorrow on May twenty sixth. Who do you bring up? That's my question for people who have that. Uh, that that I guess that uh, suggestion for Alec Manoa because I'm open to anything. I'm not saying I'm against it. I just come with the fact that okay, if it's best for him. What's happening in terms of who's replacing him? I just think that, unfortunately, the depth is very minimal, which is we've talked about tons of times this year, and that is my only argument against the fact of a Phantom Ielston. But, I mean, at this point, they got to try something because what they've been doing, sending him out there every five days, it hasn't been working. It has been inconsistent. And when he has struggled, it has been the same stuff every single time.
0: Yeah, I uh, accidentally said earlier that Mino would be starting against the Twins. He is going to be starting against the Brewers. In the series after that. So, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Maybe you work it out so that he misses it with the off day. I mean, you you could. You could bump up the rotation by a day and skip his day. So, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's the easy solution. Given that this is the only off day you have over the span of a month. Like... Maybe that's how the Blue Jays fix it, or maybe you do give him a soft place to land against the Brewers. Obviously, the Brewers are a good team, but they haven't totally been hitting so far this season. They're 21st in baseball and batting average, so maybe that's how you can kind of test the waters against a little bit of a lower-performing team, but then you have no choice but to put him on a phantom IELTS and miss one or two starts. So, yeah, maybe—I think that's probably the best solution right now is to— Skip that start with the off day on Monday. I hope you can use the time off, the whatever he'll get off from that, the nine days off to settle down a little bit, figure out what the hell hasn't been working, and then roll him out for what comes after that. Um, I got the J's schedule behind my laptop here, so, but like, I, I mean, I don't know, it's, The Blue Jays are reaching a breaking point with Manoa, and something's going to happen soon, I think. Like, I think we've reached the point where the start of the season is over, and he's finally going to have to start performing. And if he doesn't, they're going to be fiddling around with something. So he'll be starting against the Mets after that series against the Brewers. So I don't know. I think, and the Mets are, I don't know. The Mets haven't been great to start the season either. They're 18th in baseball and batting average, but who knows? I don't know. No soft place to land. Give him the off day. Skip a spot in the rotation. See what you can do with an extra day's rest or an extra time through the rotation off. Um, let's talk about another negative topic, and that's uh, Dalton Varsho. People are really harping on the quality of the Dalton Varsho trade recently. Uh, of course, it comes as Lorders Goriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno, the two guys they gave up to get. Dalton Varsho have been performing really, really well. With the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, I have two criticisms of people who are criticizing this trade. Uh, The first caveat outside of those criticisms is just like, yeah, like you're going to make some bad trades. And I think this might be a case where the Blue Jays didn't get enough or gave up too much or whatever you want to argue. This may be one of those cases. But the two things that I want to caution against that school of thinking is first, it's not all offense. And it's not all that meets the eye. There is years of control that go into this conversation. The Blue Jays traded away Lourdes Goriel Jr. Who's only under control for this season. And they brought in Dalton Varsho, who's under control for this season and two seasons after that. So that's the first consideration. The contract is a big part of this. And I think that's part of why the Jays made this trade. To get controllable assets in exchange for someone who they would have had to sign if they wanted to keep him longer. Um... Also, the offense is not the only part of this. Like, Dalton Varsho is a plus defensive guy. He's, this is the reason the Jays brought him in. It was to shore up the outfield defense, and we said this at the start of the season, regardless of what they got out of the bat, the defense was always going to be a big part of this trade. And so I think that's a consideration you lose when you just look at Lourdes Gouriel Jr.'s offensive numbers, because defensively, he's kind of a train wreck. And we know that from his time with the Jays. And so, moving him out, bringing Dalton Varsho in, and just looking at the offensive numbers there, you're losing that sense of the trade. Um, The other thing I'll say is, the thing that we've been saying all episode, it's May. It's May 25th. We are 50 games into a 162-game season. If you find Lourdes Goriel Jr.'s worst 50-game stretch last season, I'm sure it's league's worse than what Dalton Varsho is doing right now. It just so happens that Lourdes Goriel Jr. and Gabriel Marino have both started the season well, and Dalton Varsho hasn't. We've got more, you know, a 3rd two-thirds of the season left to play. Let's not make judgments on this trade when Dalton Varsho still has this year plus two years of control after that. So those are the two things, the two big issues I take with this trade because I think people are making judgments too fast and they're not accepting the whole picture, and I'm open to the idea that this was a bad trade like I think that's a fair assessment that you could make and it may be an assessment that we make you know three years down the line when we have the full picture of what this trade means but to make that judgment after a month and a half and without considering the service time considerations to me is not appropriate it doesn't get the full picture of what we're dealing with here
1: yeah um I've noticed this as well and it's figures the last week where this is kind of this discussion has come up and I'm actually with you on that perhaps a couple years down the road you look back on it and it it turns out maybe it wasn't as at well of advertised as it was at the time this deal was made and I, I personally think as much as you've been bringing up Gurriel and I we, we know Gurriel I mean I'd be lying if I say I'd, I miss Lourdes Gurriel. I think a lot of people do uh, in terms of everything like that. We've discussed it. These were good players. He was my
0: favorite player when he was on there the There you
1: go. And these were good players that they moved on from. These were tough decisions that they made. It's not like these were guys that were easy to move on from. For me, one of the deciding factors, and of course a lot of people are also discussing this now too, is the Gabriel Moreno topic. Because you look, and a lot of people are, as much as Gabriel Moreno has been playing, I think he's been playing decent. I mean, he's playing every day, of course, in Arizona so far. You know, the slow start from Alejandro Kirk, the the sub, I guess, average defense that he's been showing as well to start the year, make it very easy to criticize that move as well. So, I guess on that part, I mean, I think for me, if that whole trade thing I guess, we're, you know, if we look back on this in a couple of years and, you know, admit that this probably wasn't exactly the greatest decision um, at that time, for me, one of the main factors are, for me, I'll be focusing more on the Gabriel Moreno part just because of, I mean, the Alejandro Kirk thing. Like, we know the whole story of how we showed up late the spring training. It's been a slow start from at the plate. He still hasn't exactly figured things out. The defense for me, like, I just, I, I know it's, I guess it's recently biased because of what we saw today on Thursday. Um, it's just the amount of time, and I a big part of this was also on Alec Manoa too, but just the amount of times that the Rays were able to steal on uh, Alejandro Kirk, and we've seen that throughout the year as well a couple of times. So, I mean, that 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 part hurts a little bit, but I'm not – I over the last week, I've never gotten to the point where I've questioned uh, the trade more than I have before. Like, I just never have gotten to the point where – I've used Dalton Varsha as a scapegoat, or just blaming that trade more than I did at the time. Of course, when it did happen, I mean, for the most part, I think we were all. We, the thing was, is when when it did happen, we understood the move. I think most of us did. Of course, there's still a select few who didn't, and I'm sure they're gonna hold on to that uh, hold on to that opinion forever. But most of the people understood why they did this, the whole lefty at bat. That's, that's been a topic that we've talked on this podcast for years about of how they haven't had uh, a consistent lefty at bat. They have that now, of course, as much as it has been producing at the plate. And it felt like there was a stretch early on in May where Varsho kind of figured things out. And then uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of gone back down to him struggling. He's been up and down in the lineup like crazy. He was gone down to his lowest seven today on Thursday, he was hitting second. So I mean, they're trying to move him up and down the order. They're trying to get him going. They had they gave him an off day about a week ago now to try and, I guess, let let him reset on things. He had a home run at, uh, in this series as well. So I think he's under... I mean, I, as much as... And you look at what he did last year as well. You we have to also acknowledge the fact that there is underperformance uh, with Dalton Varsho at the plate. I mean, he was way better um, last season, of course, at the plate. There's the whole thing about if he was on the Jays last year, he would have led the team in war. So I don't want to discount the fact of how good of a player he was last year and how good of a player he still can be. You were talking about it. He's still young, he still has control. I just, for me, based off of the first two months, I'm not here to judge him completely um and pretty much judge this trade completely as well based off of that i mean we've seen flashes of him of course in the outfield like you've been talking about he's still been playing really good defensively and we've seen plays like that early on i mean we saw it all the way back in the spring so i'm not here to do that two months in if we have this discussion two years down the road perhaps we'll have a different opinion for sure but i think more of that i just yeah i i don't believe in that um That sort of opinion. I just think it's, again, the case where things are going rough and we're trying to figure out or we're trying to point fingers at everything that we possibly can because that's pretty much what happens in these situations. It happens every time. And unfortunately, that's just the way it goes. I mean, for the, and then I think for me as well, it's just the Gabriel Moreno thing. And I think that's going to be a huge deciding factor as well. In terms of how the the Jays had to move a catcher, they decided to move Moreno. They decided to roll Kirk and Jansen. And so far, I mean, Danny Jansen's been playing better at the plate. He's been he's been fine defensively, but of course, he has an injury now where he we don't know if he's going to go on the IL or not. And then Alejandro Kirk, it doesn't come at a good time because Kirk has struggled and he's been all pretty much out of sorts since the season started. So right now, it doesn't look good. Yes, but. I'm not here to completely judge the trade in two months. I mean, I'm still waiting or willing to give Varsho time. And if you really want to sort out this entire trade in the big picture, you got to give it a couple years. You really do. And, I mean, that's just the nature of it. And at the same time, you also have to remember, of course, everyone knows how good of a player Lourdes Curiel Jr. is. So this was a tough decision that they made. But at the same time, I still, two months into the season, have the same opinion that I did in the winter by understanding why they did it. Yeah. It's like grading a 10
0: question quiz after you're done two questions. Like it's not a fair assessment to judge it right now. And we can look at the early indications and get nervous a little bit, I think. And like, yeah, looking at Gabriel Marino has performed so far in his time in the majors, like it's totally fair to get nervous, but I think to, you know, call Ross Atkins a failure and say this trade is a failure and, Again, some people out there calling for Ross Atkins' head on this. Like it's way too early to make that sort of judgment. Same reason why it's way too early to make a judgment on the Blue Jays this season. Um along the lines of Dalton Varsho, we did see some creative lineups this series as you mentioned. We saw Nathan Lucas get in it. Um we saw Clement get in it. Clement, Clement. Uh we saw him get into the lineup a little bit, so The Blue Jays getting creative, trying to jumpstart the lineup. Lucas was hitting sixth in one of these games. I think it was sixth or seventh, which is, I think just gives you an indication of what's going on with the Jays right now and how they've been doing, at least offensively. Um, So, I mean, yeah, not ideal in any world, but uh, yeah, maybe a kind of low point in terms of the lineup. Um, Jimmy Garcia had a rough series, and he's been on a rough stretch lately, so that's another thing. To mention, uh, Bryson, you look very unhappy with that, and I don't blame you. Do you have thoughts on him?
1: I mean, he had a really good spring. He had a really good WBC, and I guess it's just one of the cases where he failed to bring that with him this year, and he's failed to be that guy that the J signed. And, I mean, we saw it last year. He was really reliable uh, throughout those parts. And, I mean, the it was really frustrating for me this past series because when he came in, of course, um, when he came in, it was Game Three. He came in. The game, first of all, the game was already at a. It was already they were trailing most of the game anyway because of Shane McClanahan. Yusuke Gukucci came out. He didn't have a great start. They got back. They got back in the game uh, in the eighth inning. They scored two runs. Kevin Bijou hits a pinch hit, uh, pinch hit home run. George Springer, or I think it was a ground out or whatever, but he brought a run in. So at that point, it was five three. You gotta you got to hold the game at that point as much as you can. And unfortunately this was in the top of the eighth. the bottom of the eighth just fell apart with Jimmy Garcia. I mean, he allows two earned runs the game gets away from them again. And then that's pretty much where it was. I'm not saying the Jays would have won it, but I mean, it's common sense that they get back in the game. You got to hold it as much as you can, especially the way things have been going right now. But Jimmy Garcia, like, I mean, we talked we've talked about this in terms of the lack of relievers, uh, in terms of the trustworthy, you know, who John Schneider trusts other than Swanson and Romano. And of course, they weren't used at all, I don't believe at all, this series, um, which was definitely, especially with the Swanson part, a little odd. But if they're not going, I mean, you have to imagine that a guy like Jimmy Garcia has moved down in terms of right now he can't be pitching late in games. And I mean, I say this because of the fact that Nate Pearson is still pitching really well from what he has been pitching I'm at the point now where I think you got to swap that and give him a shot late in the innings. I mean, I just I've seen we've seen enough of Jimmy Garcia in the first two months where he just doesn't have his his stuff that he had last year. Perhaps some time in the middle the middle innings is going to help him. And I think that Nate Pearson's earned his right to pitch later in games. If it's not going to be Eric Swanson or Tim Mesa or whatever, just throw him in that sort of cycle because I just. Games like that where you come back and you make things really close, but then all of a sudden the next half inning, it falls apart from you again. I mean, that's game over. And I you just, it, again, it just comes at times where the the wins are crucial. And I know the word urgency has been used a lot now from this team and from a lot of people over the last couple of days. You know, I think that's as much as, and that's the much that, are pretty much as much that John Schneider can do right now. Because I know the other thing too is a lot of people are calling for change, change, change. I don't necessarily know what that means because this team has been set in stone since the spring right now. It's still may. And really that's the only thing that I can imagine in terms of change, change things up in terms of who's coming in late in games or anything like that. We've seen it. We've, we've already, we've already seen it with the lineup a little bit. He's tried to change things up that you were talking about, Mark. So I just, let's be more open to using a guy like Nate Pearson, who's pitched really well and has earned that right. And to stop throwing out Jimmy Garcia because he just doesn't have it. I mean, as much as people might agree with that or not, you have to look at the facts that Jimmy Garcia has not pitched well. He should not be pitching late in games right now. I'm not saying for the rest of the year, but right now, if it's not a guy like Eric Swanson or Tim Mesa,
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Nate Pearson deserves a shot in those higher leverage situations, especially with the way... Garcia has been pitching, and it looks like my days are numbered on the uh, Nate Pearson prediction. But I think he how deserves, many more? Uh, What's he at? He's at like what eight appearances, nine appearances? Yeah, it's it's close to ten now. I think yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I got like maybe a week and a half yeah. before my prediction has yeah. gone out the window. He's at ten uh, now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, five more appearances, and I'm done. And I'm threatening taking the biggest loon title this year. We'll see. Still got a long way out. It's a long season, so we'll see what happens. But uh, okay, we didn't talk about this last episode because everything was doom and gloom earlier this week. Um, But we do want to bring back the sweet relief segment this week. (laughs) Okay, so the guessing game now becomes my question to you is. Which Blue Jays reliever had their longest Major League appearance since September 17th, 2020 in this series against the
1: Rays? Longest in terms of the amount of innings? Yes. Is it Trevor Richards? Yeah. Yeah. Trevor I Richards. Figured, yeah. Shout <laughs> out to him, guy. though. Shout out to him Yes,
0: today. yes. And that's the, the point of this entire segment. It's a segment where we praise relievers because oftentimes all we do with relievers Is criticizing them when we're bad. We want to praise them when they're good. And that was Trevor Richards in today's game against the Tampa Bay Rays. Three perfect innings against the Rays. And he did it all in 32 pitches. We talked about the disaster that Alec Manoa's start was. Trevor Richards was absolutely phenomenal. And he saved the Blue Jays' bullpen in today's game. 32 pitches, 9 outs, 0 base runners. Three strikeouts, just absolutely phenomenal from Trevor Richards, and his long tied for his longest major league appearance since September seventeenth, twenty twenty. He had a couple three inning appearances in twenty twenty one, none in twenty twenty two. So it's his longest start period or longest appearance period since twenty twenty one, tied for the longest since tw- twenty twenty when he had a uh, four inning outing in September, and he had a couple four-inning outings that year. But that's besides the point. Absolutely phenomenal from Trevor Richards, Saved the Blue Jays' bullpen. I still get, like, nine outs on 32 pitches is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, So we talk about guys who deserve higher leverage. I don't know if Trevor Richards is in that conversation yet. He's had good stretches this year. He's also had bad stretches this year. But this game alone,
1: in a vacuum, incredible performance. And it's even more outrageous, in terms of comparison or comparing, that it took nine outs for Al Quinoa on eighty-seven pitches. So yeah. as much as Richards made it look easy, it's just outrageous that it took Manoa that much. But I mean, you have to admit it. Like he he did really well coming out of the bullpen today, just for the just for the common sense reasons that the the lack of off days coming up. You know, the fact that this is the last game of the series, you got to go to Minnesota for another three games before the next off day. You don't want to entirely burn your bullpen. You don't want to use those guys when you're down that big. I mean, it's just all that stuff that come along with it, the stuff that you'd rather not do. And they were able to avoid all that um, for the most part with Trevor Richards. And I mean, yeah. I mean, th- there's nothing more you can ask from him on that part, as much as he used to kind of be a starter. So he has some familiarity with that. And he came out today. He threw three shutout like, innings like you were talking about. And that was huge. So, you know, I, I again, like you were talking about in terms of who knows where he is on that late inning kind of thing or whatever like that in terms of higher leverage. But, I mean, if he pitches well like this, he's he's going to rise up on that. I mean, there's it's only a matter of time. And like you've been talking about, he has been pitching good for the most part. You look at his ERA, it's under four. He's he, he's It's not like he's, you know, been a disaster out of the bullpen. So it was a shaky start for him. Of Well, we know what happened last year with him. It was a shaky start for him in the spring. So it was kind of like, it's kind of like the opposite of what, what's what been happening with Jimmy Garcia, but he's really, I think he understood the fact that, you know, his spot in this bullpen for the entire year wasn't exactly set in stone. If he continued to pitch like what you saw last year from him. And it's a big part right now uh, in terms of people who have been struggling that you've been expecting to pitch well. And then a guy like Trevor Richards, who can, you know, just benefit from that because of the fact that the expectations may not have been as high as the others, But he's pitching really well. He saved the bullpen a lot of innings again today, which was very crucial. He did his job, and not a lot of Blue Jays can say that uh, from this series. So that's why I do think it was very important, and it does deserve a shout-out of how good Trevor Richards was um, this weekend. So we'll see what happens, or this week, and we'll see what happens this weekend in Minnesota. I'm not sure who knows if he's going to pitch at any, any point of the series. If it is, it'll probably be near the end of the series. But again, very good job from Trevor Richards. All
0: right, and that segues us into series predictions for this series against the Minnesota Twins. It's a homecoming of sorts for Jose Barrios, who's going to be pitching back on uh, the series finale on Sunday. Uh, we also got Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett, who are going in this series as well. Um, It's worked out for me going first, so I'm going to keep going first in these predictions just to update everyone on where the standings lie. I was right in saying one of three. I didn't get perfect. I didn't get the extra point for uh, predicting which game the Blue Jays would win, but I get four full points for one and three. Bryson, you and Jacob get two points each for your series split predictions. Right now, the standings, I'm creeping back up. Uh, Bryson, you still lead the way with 25. I'm in second with 23. And Jacob is in last with 18 points. Um, I don't know. Going first on this. I think the Blue Jays will win game one of this series. I think they'll win Friday. Because it's Kevin Gosman against a guy. I didn't jot his name down. But he has a higher ERA. Uh, I think Kevin Gosman and the Blue Jays. Louis Varland. There we go. Never heard that name before in my life. (laughs) I think the Blue Jays win on Friday. I think the tough one is Saturday and Sunday. Because we got two really good pitching matchups in both of those. I think odds are the Blue Jays lose Sunday. Uh, It's just a question of what happens on Saturday, which is Chris Bassett versus Pablo Lopez, which is going to be just a great matchup to watch, period. Uh, The question then becomes which pitcher ends up on top. Um, And do the Blue Jays get a series win after how long they've got without a series win? I mean, they lost a series against Tampa Bay, lost a series against Baltimore, lost a series to New York. Uh, and then they swept the Atlanta Braves going back there. So, I mean, it's been three straight series losses. Do they break the curse? Um, sure, I'll say yes. I say they win Friday, they win Saturday, and they lose Sunday with Barrios on the mound.
1: Uh, Bryson, what's your series prediction? So I also have a series win. I mean, hopefully, is the Twins are kind of actually, record-wise, in the same spot right now uh, with the Blue Jays basically in the same spot, hovering around... 500 so perhaps i mean i'm just trying to be as optimistic as i can i understand if people are sick of it but i'm gonna keep doing it perhaps this is some sort of matchup that can steer them you know in the in the right direction who knows i mean it's gonna take a bit before we see it but at some point it will happen so i'll go along with you in terms of the series win i'll say they also win friday like you were talking about i'll say oh but i will say they lose saturday and I think they win Sunday with Barrios pitching. I just, I, I think that, you know, he's definitely bounced back and everything like that. From what we've seen, he's going to want to go in there and get a win. I think he's going to be motivated to do that. So I'll say they win two out of three like you, uh, and they win Friday and Sunday, they lose Saturday. I don't know if Jacob has predicted anything or he gave you anything.
0: I just called him to try to get a last minute prediction from him he did not pick up and went to mm-hmm. voicemail figures so uh we'll get one after this episode and we'll uh put it into the spreadsheet so we have that for posterity purposes um who knows maybe we'll all say uh they they win two games hopefully yeah um, that'd be nice a nice oh, little oh. optimistic
1: note jacob's to send us- texted you
0: oh oh <laughs> we got messages in the discord he's currently typing it sounds like what he's- is he saying
1: it sounds like it's one out of three. Yeah, so one out of three, but they win Saturday.
0: Win the second game. Okay, so never mind. We're no longer ending the podcast on an optimistic note, at least for two of us. Both of us are optimistic. Uh, we'll see what happens. It's a close race in the standings and series predictions. Uh, I was trailing by like I think it was like seven points at one point, and now I'm coming back on top. Jacob is now trailing by seven points. He's twenty five to eighteen from the lead. Uh, So we'll see what happens. Um, Okay, well, we'll wrap up this episode there. As always, you can support our podcast and find everything to do with us below this episode at our Linktree link. You can join our Discord where we have over 70 listeners to talk about baseball and other stuff and leave us mailbag comments. You can contribute to our Bias Coffee page. Just helps keep us going. Helps keep us doing what we're doing here. Uh, you can leave us a review wherever you listen, uh, especially Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You, you can subscribe on YouTube, and you can check out Jay Baseball code jbirdie.ca is the link. The link is below this episode. Bryson's got the shirt. We love their gear. Go check them out. All right. The Twin City, Minnesota, the Blue Jays are going to Minneapolis, Target Field. We'll see what happens. Can't get any worse, right? Um, knock on wood. We'll catch you next time.